Well, good morning and welcome to Hawaii Kai Church. It's a, always such a pleasure to see everybody here to worship our Lord Jesus Christ together. Uh, we're going to continue through our study of the Gospel of Luke this morning. So would you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be studying verses 18 through 25 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 is our passage of study, where we're going to continue to learn about the life of Zechariah, the priest, who was John the Baptist's father. Luke chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And I'll read that. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on, on me to take away my reproach among people. Would you bow your heads as we open our time in a word of prayer? Father, we do thank you again for this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord God, I do pray that you would help us, Father, to see you in your word this morning, that you would help us, Lord, to understand and to take to heart the things that you would desire us to know the things that you would desire us to walk away today with. And I pray that it would be by your spirit that you would do these things. Bless this time, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if our passage today seemed like it started off in a strange place, it's, it's because it's actually the second half or the second part uh, that describes Zechariah's en encounter with the angel of the Lord. Last week, Pastor Dan introduced us to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were John the Baptist's parents, and we saw and heard the great message of hope that Zechariah was given when he encountered the angel inside the temple. Now, if you weren't here last week, don't worry. Uh, we're going to do a quick review to get you up to speed. So as we learned last week, Luke opens up his narrative again uh, by talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, they were both righteous and very devout followers of God, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both very old. Now, in those days, there was a stigma associated with being childless. So throughout their life, this old, devout couple experienced great disappointment, despair, and even shame. But being childless was not the worst of their worries. They were also living in a very dark time. Politically and spiritually, the climate of Israel was dark. Israel was under Roman authority, and they were under the ruthless rule of King Herod. Religion had become cold and formalized. In fact, it had been over 400 years since God last spoke to Israel through his prophet Malachi. 400 years of silence. 
It was a dark time in Israel. But it is into this darkness that God is going to bring forth his blazing light. Now, in order to set this upright, in order to set the context correctly so that you can see the significance of our passage today, we first need to remember that for centuries, the Jews have been waiting and longing for their promised Messiah. Going back all the way to the book of Genesis, the Old Testament is full of prophecies pointing to the coming Messiah, the Christ, who would one day come and save his people, Israel. In fact, the Old Testament closes with the book of the prophet Malachi, who 400 years prior to the time of Zechariah ended his book with a prophecy concerning the Messiah. He wrote these final last words in the final book of the Old Testament. He says this, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. These were the last prophetic words to the nation of Israel. And then 400 years of silence until until we come to this story about Zechariah. In our passage today, we find this old, righteous, but childless priest burning incense in the holy place of the temple during the daily worship. And it is here, in the holy place of the temple, that something miraculous happens. An angel appears and speaks to Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Then the angel goes on to explain that Zechariah and his wife are going to have a son, and they will call his name John, and he's going to bring great joy and gladness, and he will be consecrated, and he will be great before the Lord, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And then the angel says this in verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now these words that the angel speaks to Zechariah, do they sound familiar? Well, they should, because we just read something very familiar from the book of Malachi. You see, with this announcement from the angel to Zechariah, God is breaking 400 years of silence by picking up where he last left off in the final words of the Old Testament. The prophecies are now being fulfilled. Everything that the people of Israel have longed for and yearned for is now coming true. The angel is telling Zechariah that the Messiah is coming, and you, Zechariah, will have a son in your old age, and he will be great in the eyes of God, and he will play a massive role in preparing God's people for their Messiah. And all of this sets the stage for our passage of study this morning. You see, we first need to understand, we need to feel the significance and hope of the message that Zechariah just received. We need to understand this before we can understand the tragedy of Zechariah's response. Look at me at verse 18. With me at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? 
for I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, at this point in the narrative, you can almost hear the tires screeching to a halt. You can almost envision the train flying off the rails. Zechariah's response to this monumental message of hope, his response is a disaster. It's not what you would have expected. Rather than leaping for joy or falling to his knees and crying out tears of gratitude, Zechariah's response is unbelief. Now, as righteous and as devout as Zechariah may have been, he responds to the angel with doubt. He questions the angel. How shall I know this? How do I know that what you said is true? He is basically asking for a sign. He's asking for proof. Show me something. Zechariah doubted the angel of God. Now, as wonderful as this announcement has been, Zechariah simply could not reconcile it with the reality that he was an old man and Elizabeth, his wife, was an old barren woman. You can almost hear Zechariah's thoughts. We've been trying and trying to have a baby for decades, and now we are just too old. People our age do not have babies. So how can I know this is true? Can you sympathize with Zechariah in his unbelief? Now, even though I'm sure none of us have ever had that kind of experience Zechariah is having with the angels, I'm pretty sure that we've all had our fair share of doubts over the years. Now, our doubt may not be as blatant as Zechariah's, but doubt comes in many shapes and sizes. When we see our favorite celebrities, sports heroes, social media influencers, and even our friends and neighbors living the dream, getting rich and becoming great in the eyes of the world, Pastor Dan mentioned this in his sermon last week, do we not question whether we ought to be chasing that lifestyle as well as beginning to doubt God's plan and provision for us? When we hear secular scientists, unbelieving teachers, atheistic politicians telling us that Christianity is an archaic, outdated religion that no longer has a place, no longer has a voice in science, in the classroom, or in the public square, does doubt start to chip away at your faith and even at the truth of God's word? When we want something so badly but never seem to get what we want, Do we begin to doubt the power of prayer or whether God even hears our prayers or whether he's even there? When we face trials and difficulties or heartache and pain with no end in sight, do we not begin to doubt God's care and love for us? And so doubt and questioning comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes and are probably more common to the Christian experience than you might think. And although we might question Zechariah's unbelieving response to the angel, if we are really honest with ourselves and put ourselves into Zechariah's shoes, we will probably find that there is a Zechariah inside each one of us. And unfortunately, that's not a good thing. As I mentioned before, Zechariah's unbelief is tragic. Though he was a devout, believing man, in spite of this, he doubts, which tells us something that we already know, that even believers, even strong believers can struggle and stumble with doubt. 
And so the lessons we learn today from Zechariah are for all of us. In Zechariah's case, he doubted his God because he couldn't see beyond the reality of his great problem, that he was an old man and Elizabeth was an old, barren woman. But this is tragic because Zechariah should have known better. As a priest, he was responsible for teaching the people about God. He was well-trained and well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the history of the barrenness of women such as Sarah and Rachel and Hannah. And he must have taught others many times the faithfulness and the power of God to give these women children even in their old age and how these children would grow to play a pivotal, special role in God's plan of hope and redemption for his people. Zechariah knew these things. And of course, he also knew the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah who would one day save his people Israel. He knew the prophecy of Malachi that that God would send a herald who would go before the Messiah to prepare a way. Zechariah knew these things and he knew them well. But it shouldn't have been just an issue of knowledge, should it? For here we have an angel of God appearing before Zechariah, literally scaring him out of his wits before he gently calms his fears and proclaims to him this wonderful news. Zechariah was not hallucinating. He was in direct contact, speaking with a heavenly being, an angel of God. And yet Zechariah wavered in his faith. Why? Well, we're told in verse 18, because his faith was overcome by the reality of human biology. Old people simply do not have babies. For Zechariah, in this moment of weakness, his faith, his hope, the promise, all of this was trumped by his own painful experience, by his problems, by his lack. Zechariah was looking at only what was humanly possible and had taken his eyes off of God. As J.C. Ryle says, he thought of nothing but the arguments of mere human reason and sense. And And it often happens in religious matters that where reason begins, faith ends. Another commentator says this, When our eyes are on our problems, we will not remember God's word and how it applies to us. You can block out the noonday sun with a quarter. All you have to do is bring the quarter right up to your eye. We sometimes hold our problems and limitations to our eyes that way, bringing them so close to our eyes, we cannot see the great glowing sun of God's promises and God's power. Let me step away just a moment from our narrative to talk a little bit about faith. We know from Hebrews 11 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is based on hope and that which is unseen. However, Christian faith is not blind. It is not groundless. It is based on history, fact, and eyewitness accounts. As we learned two two weeks ago, the reason Luke wrote this gospel, the reason he studied the events and interviewed those who had seen and lived with the Savior was so that he could put together an orderly account of Jesus' life in order that we might have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught about Jesus. 
Our faith is not a blind faith. But our faith also deals with and is based upon supernatural issues and events that cannot be explained outside the existence of a supernatural, all-powerful God. The only way to truly understand the Bible is to believe, first and foremost, that there is a God, a God whose thoughts are not our thoughts, whose ways are not our ways. For as the prophet Isaiah tells us, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than ours and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Which means that we will not always understand God's thoughts. God's ways will not always make sense to us. And so it is not wrong for us to ask questions and to seek explanations when we are perplexed and struggling and questioning. Our passage this morning, this story of Zechariah, is not telling us that we can never have questions. Having questions is not the same thing as doubting God. So please do not ever feel like you cannot ask questions about God and his ways when you don't understand But at the same time, you must know this, that if any of this is going to make any sense to you at all, you must come to God in faith. First and foremost, before we can know anything about God, we must believe that he is there. We must submit our belief to the reality of God and have faith that he is is a good and loving creator who deserves our worship and love. We are told in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that this morning? Well, this was Zechariah's problem, his momentary lapse of faith, because he failed to factor in the reality of God into the midst of his problems. He couldn't see the blazing glory of his all-powerful God because he was holding his problems so close to his eye. His earthly problems blinded him to his heavenly Father. And so Zechariah demanded proof. He was asking the angel for a sign. And unfortunately for him, a sign is exactly what he would receive. After Zechariah's outburst of doubt and unbelief, the angel speaks. Look at verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Rather than answer Zechariah's doubt and try to prove to him that these wonderful promises were true, the angel simply identifies himself. That's all he needed to do. He wasn't obligated to prove or explain himself. The angel simply says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent by God to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now, I can only imagine that at some point, probably right about now, that it begins to dawn on Zechariah that he has made a huge huge mistake. 
You see, the Bible teaches us that there are an innumerable, countless number of angels. And in all of the Bible, only three are ever named. Michael the archangel, Gabriel, whom we have here, and the fallen angel Lucifer. This is undoubtedly a very, very special message if Gabriel is sent to deliver it. Now, the last time Gabriel was identified in the Bible was in the book of Daniel, chapters 9 and 10, when God sends Gabriel to Daniel with the 70 weeks prophecy. Now, this was one of the most detailed, most important messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Through Gabriel, God reveals to Daniel that he is going to send his anointed one, a prince, who is going to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness. This was a messianic prophecy that Zechariah and every other priest of his time would have undoubtedly been very, very familiar with. So as soon as Zechariah hears the name of the angel who is speaking to him, I am Gabriel he would have immediately put two and two together and understood the monumental significance of the message that he had just received. The angel Gabriel was sent 500 years ago to to give Daniel the prophetic message that God would one day send a Messiah. And now, all these centuries later, the same angel Gabriel is sent to Zechariah to announce that the prophecies are finally being fulfilled. Zechariah now realizes that he has been privileged and blessed beyond his wildest imagination. The message of the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah has been delivered to him. But what in the world did Zechariah just do? He told the angel Gabriel, prove it. I don't believe you. Give me a sign. Now, have you ever said something you regretted? Well, Zechariah's response is probably the main exhibit in the Hall of Fame of shame and regret. Zechariah asked Gabriel for a sign. And so Gabriel does just that. He tells Zechariah in verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Because of Zechariah's unbelief, he would not be able to speak, and he was also made deaf. And we know he was made deaf because later in verse 62, we are told that his relatives had to make signs to him in order to ask him what he would name his son. They were making signs to him because he couldn't hear. Zechariah was unable to talk or hear for over nine months until his son John was finally born. Nine months is a long time not to be able to talk or to hear, especially if you're a priest where your job, your life is to teach and to bless and to communicate God's word to his people. I would imagine, though, that the worst part of Zechariah's punishment was that he was unable to freely share the glorious good news that the angel had proclaimed to him. I mean, think about this. After decades and decades of longing for a child and centuries and centuries of waiting and longing for the fulfillment of the promised Messiah, this glorious revelation is made known to Zechariah by the angel Gabriel himself. And now Zechariah cannot say a word about it. 
For a priest in Zechariah's time, place, and position, that would be nothing short of torture. But as difficult as this disciplining process was for Zechariah, we can also see God's mercy at work here. For Zechariah's disability is temporary. It's not permanent. And although Zechariah has lost his voice and his hearing, he has not lost his life. And most importantly, Zechariah's unbelief does not nullify the promise made to him concerning his son, John. God's discipline of Zechariah did not invalidate the promise. The promise still stands. God said it, and he will follow through with it, and he will follow through with his promises in spite of Zechariah's unbelief. Notice what it says at the end of verse 20, which will be fulfilled in their time. God's will will come to pass whether we believe it or not. As John MacArthur says, what changes is not the plan, but your part in its unfolding. Faithless people don't change the plan. They just forfeit the blessedness of doing in it what God would want them to do. Now we can also see God's mercy to us in that he does not discipline us exactly the same way he did to Zechariah. Can you imagine if you and I were disciplined with deafness and muteness for nine months every time we doubted God and disbelieved his promises and his word? I think church would be a very quiet place, beginning with me. Fortunately, God doesn't do this very often. Or does he? Charles Spurgeon said, Now I am afraid there are many believers who have had to suffer something like this for many days on account of their unbelief. Now what does Spurgeon mean by that? Well, he goes on to explain that there is a dullness that comes to our senses when we doubt God. Our ability to hear and speak becomes impaired because of unbelief. Now, Spurgeon is not saying that you become physically deaf. Rather, because of your unbelief, your hearing becomes dull to what the Lord is saying to you. You come to church and while others are edified and find great comfort and solace from God's word, you hear nothing. Because of your unbelief, you're deaf to God, and your ears are closed to the encouragement, to the hope, and to the promises of God's word. Similarly, for the same reason, some of you have lost the ability to speak. Again, not that you cannot speak at all, but where once you were able to speak joyfully of the Lord's goodness, you are now silent. You've lost your ability to join in pleasant conversation with your brothers and sisters about the faithfulness and goodness of the Lord. You can no longer pray as you once did. You no longer come to the throne of grace boldly to lift up prayers and petitions to, the God, to your God as a child to her father in complete faith and trust and you no longer sing praises with all your heart to God. Instead, you just mouth the words, for your heart has become hard. Your voice of praise has become mute. And all because you have stopped trusting and believing your God. Unbelief. You have allowed your circumstances, your problems, your lack, your want to become all that you see. You have blocked out the blazing sun with a quarter because you have chosen to focus only on your troubles 
rather than on the great and sure promises of your God. And little do you know that the chastisement of your heavenly Father has come upon you because of your unbelief. You have become deaf and dumb to the things of God. Now that's not a word-for-word quote from Charles Spurgeon, but that, these are his thoughts. And don't they ring true? There's so much we can learn about this from Zechariah's unbelief, but we're going to move on. Let's look at verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his de- delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now, we're not told how long Zechariah was in the temple with Gabriel, but we do know that it was longer than normal. The people outside were waiting, and they were wondering why he was delayed, because it shouldn't have taken this long. But finally, Zechariah emerges from the temple, and now customarily, when the priest comes out from the holy place of the temple, he will pronounce a blessing, a benediction upon the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This was the beautiful blessing the priest would bestow upon the people when he came out of the temple. But this time was different. When Zechariah emerged, he couldn't give a blessing. He didn't say a word because he could not speak. True to the words of the angel Gabriel, Zechariah was now mute and deaf. Zechariah wanted proof. He wanted a sign that Gabriel was telling the truth, and that's exactly what he got. So he's trying to make motions with his hands, but he didn't know, and they didn't have American Sign Language back then. So, so think about it. How would you try to explain what Zechariah had just experienced using only hand motions? I can only imagine that Zechariah was torn in two different directions. On one hand, he was probably feeling so ashamed, so filled with so much regret and guilt and remorse because he didn't believe the Word of God. But on the other hand, He was going to have a son. And even more glorious than that, the long-awaited Messiah was coming. How could you explain such a thing with just hand motions? It would have been impossible. It was impossible. And so the people had no idea what had just happened, but somehow they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. Let's move on to verse 23. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And so Zechariah finishes up his one week of service in the temple, and then he returns home to his wife Elizabeth. And although Zechariah can't talk or hear, Ultimately, somehow, they must have worked things out because in spite of Zechariah's limitations, we read in verse 24, after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived. And it's with this one simple sentence that Luke gives to us the very first miracle of the New Testament. An old, barren woman conceives. John MacArthur calls it the launch miracle of the saga of salvation, the beginning of the unfolding of the age of miracles that surrounded Jesus and the apostles. And after this, Elizabeth kept to herself in seclusion for five months. 
Although, the, again, the Bible doesn't tell us why she did this. You can just imagine what would have, what would have happened if this old woman who had been barren all her life suddenly started to go, and go around saying, I'm pregnant. They would have thought she was crazy. And with a husband who cannot speak or hear, how could she ever explain to people that a miracle had occurred? So it's not hard to imagine why Elizabeth kept herself in seclusion for five months. But all the while, she knew, she knew that what had happened to her was truly a miracle. For in verse 25, we read, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, as I mentioned earlier, barrenness was shameful in the Jewish society. And so with Elizabeth's pregnancy, With this first miracle of the New Testament, God took away Elizabeth's reproach. He removed her shame. In spite of Zechariah's doubt and unbelief, God remained faithful to his word. And so what we've learned today in this story of Zechariah is that even a true believer in God can be overtaken temporarily by unbelief. If you are a Christian, This should be both an encouragement to you and a warning. An encouragement because you are not alone when you struggle with doubt. The Bible is filled with devout, committed believers who had temporary lapses of unbelief. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, David, Zechariah, Peter, Thomas, just to name a few. The question is not whether we will ever struggle with doubt, but the question is what should we learn from the people of the Bible? who did struggle. And what we learn is that God gives to us a warning that there are consequences to our unbelief. And more specifically, from the life of Zechariah, we learn that we should not allow our troubles, our problems, our lack, our unmet desires to block out the promises and the truth of God's word. If you're a believer struggling struggling with unbelief, And if you're sensing God's heavy hand of discipline on you, then take hope in this. Hebrews 12 tells us, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As we close, look at verse 64 of chapter 1. It says this, And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Zechariah and Elizabeth eventually have their baby, and throughout the pregnancy, Zechariah could not speak. It wasn't until he named his son John and the promise given by the angel Gabriel to Zechariah was completed that he could speak. Because as soon as that happened, true to Gabriel's words, Zechariah regains his voice. And the first thing that he does is he blesses his God. Zechariah learned and was trained through the discipline of the Lord. He grew in holiness. And although his discipline was painful, nine months later it yielded the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
Brothers and sisters, let's learn from Zechariah. Hold on to the promises of God. Know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you, for he has given to us the promise of his son, the Messiah, who died for our sins so that we could be saved. So place your trust and faith in him and in the words of Jesus himself. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, for everything that you have done for us. We thank you that, yes, Lord, indeed, you have sent to us your son, the promised one who would come and take away the sin, the iniquities of the world for all who would place their faith and trust in him. Help us, Lord, I pray, to believe, to not waver in our faith, to not hold up the things of this world before our eyes so that they block out you. But help us, Lord, I pray, to see you in the midst of everything that goes on around us, to see you at work in our lives, to see your great love working through us, helping us, Lord, to come to you. We thank you. We praise you. We love you so much and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.